Look at the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 1, verses 31 through 33, and then Isaiah chapter 9, Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 31. Luke 1 and verse 31, last Sunday morning I began a month-long series of messages on the incarnation. Going to have four messages, Christmas messages, on Sunday mornings on the subject God becoming man and a subject of this kind of importance. Uh, The God-man needs to be focused on because we're talking about uh, what was uh, allowed that chasm to be bridged between the depravity of man and the holiness of God. And that chasm was bridged and only salvation, only possible and actual because God uh, became man, was the mediator and appeased the righteousness of God while at the same time identifying with fallen man. Last Sunday, we considered the all important subject of fulfilled prophecies about the coming of Christ. And this morning we tackle the second message in this series, Meditations on the Incarnation, and this morning concerning sovereign pronouncements or declarations that were made <clears throat> about the God-man. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 31. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and shalt bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great. And shall be called the son of the highest and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father, David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There shall be no end. Now, this New Testament phrasing is really the gist or the the basics of the prophecy 700 years earlier in Isaiah. And so if you look at Isaiah chapter nine, and really that's where we're going to spend our time is in Isaiah chapter nine, Isaiah chapter nine. We spent a lot of time in Isaiah chapter seven last week, but Isaiah chapter nine and verse six gives this prophecy about this one who would come. It says in Isaiah 9 and verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Isaiah 9, 6 gives a dogmatic series of pronouncements about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. At least we understand this to be a prophecy of Christ and it was fulfilled uh, in him. Um, This is such an important verse that the composer Handel in his work on Messiah took this text and used it uh, to to write what has really become the second most recognized song in the work of Messiah, second only to a hallelujah chorus, and I would argue uh, the most musically intricate, this particular text, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. A couple of primary thoughts I'd like us to consider about this pronouncement or this declaration about the work of Christ and who he is. The first thing we consider is the pronouncement or the declaration of the ruler's identification. Who 
is he? And this imagery, the imagery goes back to chapter 7 and verse 14, where the sign for the ultimate hope of Judah was given. It says, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. And that sign is uh, the virgin born son of God, Emmanuel, God with us. And this follows from this and it identifies with uh, quite a bit of specificity who this one is who's going to come. And it identifies him in the first part of verse 6 in three particular ways if you're taking notes. And it is significant. First of all, it tells us of the birth of the child. It says in the beginning of verse 6, for unto us a child is born. It's very clear. It's right out of the text. There is going to be a child who will be born. We understand this one as Jesus, the son of man, and he is exquisite humanity. Of course, what we know about his life uh, is that he was tempted in all points as we are. That is his actual flesh. His human nature was tempted, just like you are tempted, yet he was without sin. He was exquisite humanity. The, 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 the Hebrew here um, literally means in the prophetic mind of Isaiah, as he is uh, looking 700 years into the future, very similar to chapter 7, the grammar there says that right then in Isaiah's presence, as it were, through the vision, he is seeing a child being delivered. The prophet is looking down through history as if it were taking place right then. Now, the Hebrew wording here is very significant. It's interesting that this particular wording here, when it says, unto us a child is born, it's only talking about the female role in the delivery of the baby. And so it is talking uh, very much about uh, the, the virgin from chapter seven. It doesn't deal with the man's role at all. As a matter of fact, it is conspicuously absent that particular phrasing, not born to them, uh, not born to um, uh, this couple, but born to us. That is born to the world, this particular one. And she is born of a woman. Now, why is that significant? Because the word of God says that of the seed of a woman that is without the sinful nature because of the sinful nature is passed through Adam. For Romans 5, 12 says, for as by one, what? One man sin entered into the world. You say, but Eve is the one who sinned first. Eve is the one who got us into this mess. Oh, Eve was deceived, but man fell willingly and knowingly into the transgression. So the, the guilt, the debt upon, um, for a sin was, and the curse was because of the sin of Adam. For us by one man, sin entered the world, death by sin. So death passed upon all men for all have sinned. Jesus was born without a sinful nature. For Matthew 1.20 says, that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. The prophet saw that 700 years ahead of time because he used the very Hebrew word that would only allow for the woman's role in the delivery process with this one who is born the son of man yet exquisite or impeccable perfection in um, in his being folks the very words of scripture are god breathed amen he chose the very words we hold to we embrace the plenary verbal inspiration of the word of god that is he chose exactly what he wanted to say how he wanted to say it god said what he means and means what he says and we're to preach it embrace it believe it and live it <clears throat> the birth of the child jesus is exquisite Humanity. Secondly, we see in the next phrase, unto us a son is given. The giving of the son. Jesus, 
The son of God is eternal deity. Now it's an altogether different Hebrew word here. It's, it's completely, it's really completely different. It's not talking about the delivery of a baby. The mean, the word means, and you can, um, you can phrase it this way for unto a, unto us, a son arrives on the scene. He shows up. In other words, it's not saying that he was, as a matter of fact, it's telling us he wasn't created in Bethlehem. He, he uh, was born in Bethlehem, but he arrived on the scene in the world, meaning he always was. And that's exactly what um, Micah 5, 2 tells us. It tells about the one who was born in Bethlehem. It says his goings forth, that is his coming and going, his traveling, as it were, has been from old, from everlasting. And so the teaching here is not only is he the son of man, that is he's exquisite um, perfection in his humanity, but he's also the son of God in that he is eternal deity. Yea, he is the God man. He is the uh, perfect and absolute union of the holiness of, of, uh, of God and the eternality of God while at the same time housed in humanity. What a thought, what a prophecy that was given hundreds of years beforehand and it was fulfilled exactly to the degree that Matthew recorded in chapter one and verse 23 that the angel saying they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. And so he is the son of man. He is the son of God, but he's also in the middle section of verse six. He's also the son of David. That is, he is the one who is going to direct all of world affairs because he is exalted royalty. You see, the Davidic covenant says that David is going to have one who's going to sit on his throne forever. And so Christ is the one who fulfills that coming from, as it were, the lineage of David. You can trace his genealogy back to King David and it's the Davidic throne upon which Jesus is going to rule and reign. One day he is going to visibly and gloriously rule in his kingdom. Zechariah 14, 9 talks about this. It says, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day, there shall be one Lord and his name one. And who is this Lord? Who is it being described here? Psalm 2, verses 7 and 8 talk about it. It says, The Lord said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the nations for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. There's another prophecy. Yet Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 5 and chapter 5 and verse 5 identify this one as none other than the Lord Jesus himself. He is exalted royalty. He is the one who always was, yet came and was born in Bethlehem. Yet he wasn't created there because he came on the scene. It's an amazing theological truth that we need to seek to understand and embrace and preach. That's why we are convinced folks. And we know that there is one way, one truth, one life. And that is found in Christ and Christ alone. Presently, he doesn't rule over a visible Kingdom. His kingdom is relational in the hearts of his people. He is reigning in our hearts, as it were. Luke 17, verse 20, 21, Jesus was saying, and when he was demanded by the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God should come, he answered and said to them, the kingdom of God comes not with observation. That is with outward show. 
Neither shall they say, lo, it's here or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. And so right now he is our uh, resident uh, Lord. One day he will actually literally visibly and physically take up a throne um, in Jerusalem on the throne of David, according to all the minor and the major prophets, that there will be a literal kingdom one day. Are you ready? Are you prepared for that day? Will you be there with him? Do you know him? Have you received this very one, the son of man, the son of God, the son of David? Do you recognize him as the one who took your place, as your substitute and as your soon coming king? Or would you say you know about it and yeah, you're familiar with the concept and all. And, and I tell you, folks, really, I'm not that, that's not just a um, this is not just rhetorical. I'm actually asking you this. Are you like me? At an age 19, I had a vague awareness of Christmas. I generally knew what it had to do with uh, something having to do with uh, with Jesus and being born and everything. But I had no idea of actually who he was and why he had come. What about you? Can you Say, oh, I know, I, I know him personally. I've received him. He is in my heart. I'm living for him and I love him and I'm following him. Or are you relatively indifferent about that? And it kind of leaves you sort of flat and unmoved. Which is it for you? You see, you're not guaranteed another moment. You're not guaranteed that you're going to be alive tomorrow. What are you doing with him today? Is he, in fact, the, the great and the mighty one? Are you living out um, his attributes and his characteristics through your life and honoring him as your Lord? Well, Isaiah identified him. And then there's something at the end of verse six about how he functions. The pronouncement or the declaration of how the ruler, how this one will function, what he will be all about. We know who he is. He's the son of man. He's the son of God. He's the son of David. Now, what is he going to be about? And we see that at the end of verse six, four adjective noun couplets. And, and I place wonderful counselor together as one of those couplets. There are four couplets which describe what he is going to be about in how he functions. First of all, it says that he is wonderful counselor. He's the profound counselor who settles the issue of confusion, of wondering which way to go and how do I know what is right and, and am I sure I'm going the right way and can I know about uh, what life is all about and what about eternity and, and what's going to happen to me when I die and what do I do with this situation now and all of the issues of life is there an answer for those difficult, um, even eternal questions? We live in, a, in, an, in the era of self, self-help. And bookstores are filled with counsel on how to have a better life and have your best life now and, and 12 steps to get over this. And this is how you can get out of this jam. And, and if you want to be successful in health and wealth and, and all of that, we live in a day where the bookstores are filled with that sort of information. And folks, if, if the power of positive thinking, if that philosophy could bring calmness to restless souls, if that would really work as much as we have out there now, the lion and the lamb would already be having a stall together. I mean, we'd be in the kingdom with all that's available out there. Yet 
Mankind is sinking deeper and deeper into the abyss of depression and hopelessness. And, and I tell you, especially young people, especially in the music in this day and in the last decade, and everything, it is so dark. It is so gloomy. It is hopeless and helpless. And yet in him, he has profound counsel. And really the, one, uh, the, the word here is God is a wonder. He is supremely above and beyond our imagination. He is infinite. It, as a matter of fact, it, it literally means he is unique. No one else is like him. He and he alone is the one who holds absolute truth. And he settles the confusion in the lives of those who will turn to him to the degree that Jesus was described in John 7, 46 by the learned folks of his day. John 7, 46, someone said with, with, with an exclamation, never did a man speak the way this man speaks. No one has ever offered such teaching, such counsel as this one is saying. That's because the Lord, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is the source of all truth. What about you? My guess is before you came to know Christ, before you were saved, you didn't know who you were really. Not in a, not in a, in, in the big picture of things. You didn't know where you were going and you didn't know how to get there anyway. And that was like me. And then at the point of coming to Christ, and receiving him and him filling my heart. The confusion was settled. I knew, uh, uh, you know, and I, and I had the assurance in, uh, in that one in whom I had believed. I knew that what I had committed to him, he was going to hold that. He was going to keep that secure. The doubts, the darkness was gone. Oh, there were struggles and there still are struggles. But just as the song says, and it's been said many times, we don't even need to know what tomorrow holds for we know who holds tomorrow. And the issues, the difficult issues of life can be not only tolerated, but they can be, there can be great victory in that. Turn to him, to Christ for life, for he is the wonderful or the unique, the one of a kind counselor that all the self-help help books ever printed can't even remotely touch what he will do through a life surrendered to him. Amen. I mean, there are issues that people face who know the Lord, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego going into the fiery furnace. And they, they knew they were going in there yet. We're not going to deny our Lord. Oh, and, and by the way, the guys who threw them in, they got so close that they were burned up just in the process of throwing them in. Yet there was one in the furnace with them. Amen. There was one walking around right out there in the furnace with them, caring for them every step of the way. He's the unique one. No one like him. Turn to him this day if you don't know him. He's the wonderful counselor. Secondly, he is the uh, mighty God, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the powerful champion who will deal with us in our rebellion. You see, man is born a rebel, a born a rebel. You don't have to teach an, a preschooler to lie. 
You don't have to do you don't have to do that. The baby is crying and carrying on and going ballistic and everything. And while you're out of the room and mom, as soon as you walk in the room and the baby sees you, he or she brightens up. I mean, up until that point, the baby is saying, the tigers are attacking me. Come and help. Come and help. And you walk in and everything's just beautiful. the baby is lying. You didn't have to train that baby to lie. Psalm 51 in verse five says, behold, I was shaped in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Wasn't saying he was illegitimate. He wasn't. It was just simply saying that he was born with the sin nature. And Psalm 58 in verse three says the wicked, that is those outside of God are estranged or separated from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born speaking lies. If a person is going to change from a spirit of rebellion, the mighty God must do it. This one who is the powerful champion of the universe must come and he must place his hand upon your life. He must touch you. He must arrest your attention. He must wake you up. He must shake you in your deadness and in your stupor and say, wake up. I want you to pay attention to me. This mighty God will do that. The word mighty in Hebrew is also translated heroic. We need a hero. Amen. I need a hero. I need one who will come from uh, from the outside and invade my space and wake me up and put down my rebellion and subdue it and change my life to wrestle the dragon of my will and have victory. Has he done that in your life? Has he so come in? Has he so barged in? You know, I just I just am nauseated, I guess, spiritually by the, the, the theology and the teaching. And it's, and it's all focused on the love of God and kindness and gentleness. And certainly I'm a big uh, proponent of that. Uh, but uh, the, uh, the idea that Jesus is tenderly and timidly knocking at the door and just kind of, you know, massaging you and, and patting you. And there, there, you're going to be better now. That's not what happened to me. He didn't timidly knock at the door. He blew the door down. He is the champion. He is the hero. He's the mighty God. And he will come into a life and arrest and subdue that rebellion. Has he done that for you? Have you changed? See, I don't know that that's happened to me. Are you the same person? That you always have been? Is, are there the same, is the same passion in your heart? The same motivating thrust? The same uh, theology and philosophy of life? Or has there been a change that he has touched you? He has uh, gone, he just barged right in, even without you recognizing he was, he was coming in. And all of a sudden, your heart is convicted. You're pricked deep in your soul and you're woken up and you see your need and you see that he is the hero, the champion to come in and save you. Has that happened in your life? That's what he does in lives. Thirdly, not only is he the one who can make things straight in our lives and jettison and, and, and remove that, that, that rebellious nature. Of course, we still sin. Of course, we go off the, the beaten path, but he's there dealing with us all the way. Thirdly, he's the Everlasting Father. Just love Handel's song in there. The Everlasting Father. Uh, that's what he is. He is the paternal creator. The Everlasting Father is not denying the plurality of the Godhead. It is not saying that Jesus is both the Father and the Son. It's not talking about there. It's talking about his creative function. 
in that Jesus is the creator God of Genesis chapter one and two. John one, three says that all things were created by him. Colossians one says by him were all things created. Hebrews one, two says the son made the world. And so it is talking about his eternal nature and his role or his function as the creator. He's the one who made you. He's the one who ordained when you would uh, be procreated, when you would come on the scene and the length of your days. He's the one who chooses or he's the one who passes over. The, the Lord Jesus is the creator who has established our destination. Isaiah 63 in verse 16 says, Thou, O Lord, art our father, our redeemer. Thy name is from everlasting. He said, I'll go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I'll determine your destination. And folks, are you ready to make to have that meeting? What if it were today? What if he returned even today and called his own home? Would you go? Would you be the one who would hear the call that says, come up hither and I'll show you things which must be shortly come to pass. As he said to John in the book of Revelation, will you be that one who goes? Or maybe you go through the door of death to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Are you ready for your eternal destination? He is the creator who has established that. Fourthly, he is the <clears throat> prince of peace, the peaceful commander who secures our reconciliation. He is the prince of peace. How does he do that? Well, scripture says that it's our reconciliation because in Christ we're offered peace from God, Romans 1, 7. We're, we're given peace with God, Romans 5, 1. And we experience the peace of God, Philippians 4 and verse 7. You see, the greatest threat in life isn't cancer. It isn't Osama bin Laden or Saddam Hussein or some kind of a, a, a criminal around here or those. Kind. That's not the greatest threat in life. The greatest threat is who is going to rule over death? Who is the one who is going to give eternal life and eternal peace because I can't handle that. I cannot get out from under that. I can't dodge that. I might be able to dodge a terrorist attack, possibly. I might even be able to figure out something for the here and now if I have cancer. But what about the hereafter? I need one where that I can have a relationship with where there is peace. The absence of strife, the absence of of war. He is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Now, do you believe these pronouncements, these declarations concerning Christ? Do you know him personally? Have you repented? Have you turned to him? And if not, you're not, not only are you not ready to die, you're really not ready to live. Not really live, not live with a, with a heart fully open to the blessings of God and his presence in your life. Don't you want to live, really live, have abundant life? Jesus said he came to give abundant life. Do you experience that 
today? And if not, is your heart yearning for that, longing for that? Turn to him even this very day. He is the son of man who came to identify with his creature. He is the son of God who is the eternal one. He is the son of David who is the soon coming king. Bow to him this day. Lord, I'm thankful for your word and this prophecy that was given.